Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. So we are in a series right now called Empowered. And uh, in this series, we are looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we started, if you remember, way back like seven weeks ago, we started week one with a message called Hello, Holy Spirit. We looked at the day of Pentecost, the the birth point of, of the church where the Spirit of God comes, right? There's the sound of the rushing wind and the tongues of fire appear on the heads and they begin to proclaim the gospel in other languages. People were hearing it, right? 3,000 people respond that day, and and, uh, Peter said to them, repent and believe, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's for you, and your children, and your grandchildren, and for all who are far off, which is us. That's us. Hello, Holy Spirit. Then week two, Jason did an amazing job uh, teaching us a message called Gifted for Good. And we talked about uh, these gifts of the Spirit, like are they still here today? Are, they, are some of them here today? Are they all here? And we believe that they're all here today. Um, we started working through the list of gifts that are in 1 Corinthians 12. We talked about word of knowledge and word of wisdom. We talked about faith and healing, signs, wonders, and miracles, prophecy and discernment. Last week, this week, oh my goodness, you're in for a doozy today, okay? We are going to look at the next gift on the list, and it says tongues and interpretation, How many of you have had either some skepticism, maybe a weird experience, or you're just not sure about that whole like speaking in tongues thing that you hear about? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Some of you have asked, why are y'all doing this series again? Like, where are we going? And, And I think that maybe you're afraid we want people to like to flop around on the floor at the end of the service or something like that. No, that's not what we're doing. That's not where we're going. We desperately need the power of God in our lives. Um, we, we are in a moment in our culture in which all truths are considered equal. Uh, it's, it's, you know, we've, we've rationalized all things away. And I heard a pastor say this. He said, we live in disenchanted times. And it means that there's, there's sort of a, a disappointment in things, but there's also a loss of mystery, a loss of mystery. And I think that's uh, important for us to remember because the human soul uh, is not satisfied with an existence that can be perfectly explained scientifically. How do we know that? Well, in in the midst of an age that is incredibly naturalistic and materialistic and rationalistic, there's also this uh, growing fascination with Sasquatches. Oh, yes. Yeah. My children talk about this all the time. We talk about Yetis. Oh, gosh. As a dad, I get a lot of mileage out of this one, okay? We we were walking uh, 
past some, some trees the other day uh, at a football game. And I was like, if I was a, a Sasquatch, I'd live right there. And I would wait for kids to come by and I would just grab it, right? We, just, we, we get a lot of mileage out of this. We, we, we're fascinated with Sasquatches. We're fascinated with superheroes and superhero movies and, and all the comic book-esque things. There's uh, a growing fascination with witchcraft, Right? We, we hear about movie stars that are saying, oh, I dabble in this, right? There's a coffee shops in Houston, and when you go in, there's, there's people that, that are reading tarot cards to one another, right? So there's, there's, there's a fascination with mystery. There's, there's something about it that pulls at the heart of people, and we see this all over the place, right? Conspiracy theories, aliens, unsolved criminal cases. Uh, there's an appetite in us for mystery and our human soul is not satisfied with a completely explainable existence. And if you're a believer in Christ, you know that God created us. He made us. And his fingerprints are all over our lives, all over our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies. And there's something about this fascination, this desire for mystery that points us back to this creator who made us. And we have a sense, even if you're the most skeptical person in the world, that there's more to this whole story than I currently understand, right? We, we know there's mystery, and yet we are control freaks, aren't we? And we, we, we like the fact that there's mystery, and yet we don't like the fact that there's mystery because we want it to be in our control, and yet it's just not. As we've been looking through these spiritual gifts, I feel like it's been sort of pushing us into the mystery aspect of our following of Jesus. And today, especially, we're going to be looking at a gift that is kind of mysterious to us, tongues, and interpretation. I just want to read this passage again. We've been reading it each week. I know some of you are getting tired of this. That's okay. This is the last week that we're going to read this together. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. I just want us to see again this list that Paul puts forth. He's talking to the church at Corinth. Uh, they were eager. They were, they were desiring spiritual gifts. They had come out of a pagan uh, belief system with idols, right? They've been led astray by new idols. And he doesn't want them to be ignorant or, uh, or to be uh, unlearned about spiritual gifts, right? They're, they're seeing these things operate. And I'm hoping in this series that maybe there's something that we've talked about and you're like, I think maybe that's what the Lord has gifted me with. Like that's something he's doing in my life. So he's going through this list and it starts in verse four. It says, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the performing of miracles, 
to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. So we're looking at the nine. These are very overt. These are very supernatural. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of misconceptions, and we need the word of God to help us understand what these are and how we use them. So when we're talking about tongues, it's kind of an unfortunate translation. Um, so this was inherited from the, King's, the King James Version, and tongues is probably more likely for us, it'd be better just to say languages. We're not talking about like the muscle that lives in our mouth. We're talking about different kinds of languages and different kinds of interpretation. First, I just want to give you a definition of what we're talking about, and I think I have this uh, on a slide, uh, Lance. Here's what it says. Uh, tongues... It's, it's prayer or praise spoken in syllables not understood by the speaker. So the spirit enables someone to speak something that they, it just spontaneously came and they were able to speak it and they probably don't even know what it means unless they have this gift called interpretation, which is a spirit-enabled understanding of a language that is foreign to the listener, here's the dilemma. Is Paul talking about a language of men or something else? This is the dilemma, and this is probably where a lot of debate in, in the church, in our church history, is, uh, is at. It's like, is he talking about the language of men? So like, if I don't speak Spanish, and then all of a sudden I'm like, da-da-da-da-da-da, and I can speak Spanish to you, and you're like, Whoa, that was perfect Spanish, right? That I was given a foreign language of men. It's a known language. Or is he talking about something else? Well, let's dive into that for a second. Where's the first time that we see tongues in the New Testament? Do you guys know first time we see it in the, in the New Testament? Is, is that Pentecost, right? Acts chapter 2, we talked about that the first week. Spirit comes, right? Tongues of fire, so not the language, but like a literal like sign upon their head. And then they begin to speak in other languages. And it says that people are hearing the wonders of God in their native language because people were there from all over the known world. So they're speaking a language that somebody's like, that's my language. How, did, how do they know my language? Now, there's two interpretations of that. One is that they spontaneously spoke this fluent foreign language, which is, I think, the most likely. The second is that they spoke in an unknown, uh, like, angelic language, and somehow supernaturally, like, as they're saying it, like, people are hearing their language. Now, I, I, I don't think that's what was happening uh, and I think the first is most likely because it would require that a spiritual gift was given to an unbeliever before they were a believer. Does that make sense what I'm saying? That they would, they would have a gift of interpretation before they were even born of the Spirit. So I think it's most likely that they're speaking a language of men. It's given spontaneously. By the way, we see this 
in the Old Testament at the Tower of Babel. Do y'all know the story of the Tower of Babel? And it says there was one language on the earth, right? One, one human race or ethnicity at this time. And they begin to build this tower and they say, let's make a great name for ourselves. Let's exalt ourselves. And it says that God, he comes in and he confuses the languages of the people and he spreads them out over the entire globe. So at the Tower of Babel, all of a sudden, people are given a spontaneous tongue and like your buddy that you were building the tower with and you're talking about whatever's going on in your life at that moment, all of a sudden he's speaking Russian and you're speaking like, you know, Portuguese. And it's like, what just happened? Okay, and God scatters them over. So how crazy that God can just sort of wave his hand. It's like, boom, different languages. Insane. I have a friend who, uh, he's a missions pastor in Round Rock. We served on the same uh, church staff together. And he has done extensive ministry in Haiti. He has uh, built a hospital there. He has uh, clinics there. They purchase uh, secondhand medical, uh, used medical equipment here. And they ship it down there because it's, it's way better than what they currently have. And I asked him, like, how did you get into this? Because this is, I mean, this is a massive operation. We said, I went there on a mission trip, and I was on this bus, and he's like, it's like the movies, like, where the chickens are on the bus with you, and it's kind of crazy, and there's, like, no air conditioning, and it's hot, right? Everybody's sweating and packed into this bus. And it was like that. I'm sitting between two ladies from our church that were on the trip with me, and this woman gets on, a Haitian woman gets on, and she looks at us, and she starts talking to us like this. And they speak like this uh, Haitian French Creole, right? And she's talking like this. And he goes, as she starts talking, all of a sudden, I understand every single word she's saying. And then I respond back to her in French Haitian Creole. And he said, I just thought that meant that God wanted me to do something in Haiti. And I was like, I think you're right. So God's still doing this today in the lives of believers where he's giving them language and uh, an interpretation, right? A, a new tongue and a new interpretation. But is that what Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians 12? Well, let's look at this for just a second. In verse 10, he says this, that they were given different kinds of tongues. And that word kinds would be like the word species, different species of tongues, just like we have different species of animals, right? Just this, there's very, a variety, a diversity of tongues. And then he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, you know this one. He says, if I speak in a human language or in an, el- an angelic tongue, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So what Paul does is he helps us understand what we just read earlier, that he's talking about different species of languages that includes tongues of men and what we would call like a spiritual or an angelic or what some might call a prayer language. He's talking about both in 
the passage. Um, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Let me read this. He says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Get this, verse 2. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. So wait, wait. If you're speaking in another tongue that's a foreign language meant for other people, that's, that doesn't seem to be what he's talking about. They're, they're speaking... Uh, not to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. He says this, I wish all of you spoke in other tongues but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. Oh gosh, there's a lot in there that we should probably talk about. So, tongues speaking not to people, but to God, he's talking about an angelic tongue, a prayer language. In this prayer language, it, it points to uh, what many people struggle with, which is it's not a language that someone else understands. Both are in view of this passage. And he says this, the person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues. Now we're like, wait a minute. So we're now we're gonna exalt one person like you're greater and you're lesser because you only speak in tongues, you just babble over there, but this guy can prophesy, right? Is that what's going on in the passage? No. In fact, that's what Paul's trying to undo. That word greater is, is like, um, it's, it, it's translated also as the word elder or someone who has learned wisdom over time to say it is wiser for you to speak in the church in a way that other people understand rather than for you to go and speak in a tongue and everyone's like, I have no clue what you're talking about, right? I don't understand you. So both are in view. I found a, a, an article. This is from the New York Times. This was November 7th, 2006. And they researched people who speak in tongues. So a neuroscientist researched people who speak in tongues because all over the globe, there are Christians who have a gift of tongues. They speak in tongues. And so what they did is it says they, um, they took brain images of five women while they spoke in tongues. And they found that their frontal lobes the willful part of the brain through which people control what they do were relatively quiet, as were the language centers. The regions involved in maintaining self-consciousness were active. 
Now, it says that they had the women, they started them like, hey, sing one of your favorite praise songs. Like, just sing that. And we just want to see what your brain does, right? And so their brains, so like the, the parts that, um, well, you know, the, the frontal lobe and all that were lit up, right? They could see all this activity that's going on as they're thinking about what they're singing. But when they started to speak in tongues, all that began to dim. It's interesting, the doctor said this, um, the, the amazing thing was how the images supported people's interpretation of what was happening. The way they describe it and what they believe is that God is talking through them. So the language center, the prefrontal part, actually went dim, meaning that they were not thinking about what they were saying, but something else was happening through them. It's fascinating. Uh, in the study, the researchers used imaging techniques to track changes in blood flow in each woman's brain as they sang a gospel song and again while speaking in tongues. By comparing the patterns created by these two emotional devotional activities, the researchers could pinpoint blood flow peaks and valleys unique to speaking in tongues. And here's the last part I'll read. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll read a recent study of nearly 1,000 evangelical Christians in England found that those who engaged in the practice were more emotionally stable than those who did not. Isn't that fascinating? Researchers have identified at least two forms of the practice, one ecstatic and another more frenzied, the other subdued and nearly silent. The new findings contrasted sharply, get this, with images taken of other spiritually inspired mental states like meditation, which is often a highly focused mental exercise activating the frontal lobes. Isn't that fascinating? So Christians that were speaking in tongues, the language center, the frontal lobes were dim as they were doing that, but when they were comparing that with someone who was meditating, right, they're of a different uh, religious uh, background and they're meditating and they're thinking really hard and all those parts of their brain were lit up like like it took a lot of energy for them to do that wow so here we have a neuroscientific of a view of speaking in tongues so why do we do this why would god have us do this what why would he have this be a gift that he gives to people what do tongues and interpretation reveal about God? And every one of the gifts, we've been trying to draw this, like what is God revealing about himself through this particular gift? And in 1 Corinthians 14, verse two, he said this, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks mysteries. I believe that this gift of tongues and interpretation, they point us back to the mystery of God, that we, we can't comprehend this one completely, right? We know him. He's revealed himself to us. We've, we've seen his character in Jesus. He, he's shown us in his word what he's like. We, we have this to know what he's like, but yet we can't fully comprehend him. We can't fully understand him. It is a mystery. It's a mystery. What's the purpose of tongues? Why would anybody desire that? Well, 
in the 1 Corinthians 14 passage that we read, it says that when we speak in a tongue, we're speaking to God in prayer. This is, this is a part of praying. The second is that it's speaking mysteries that are not understood by the speaker. That's the purpose. In verse two, we're speaking mysteries. The third is interesting. It's, it comes from verse four. He says that that person edifies themselves. That there's something about the spirit moving upon us in such a way that we're speaking a language that's foreign to us and it actually edifies the person. It breathes spiritual life into them. It's a sense of connection to God. And what they found in the study is that the, the, the sense of self, so the part of your brain that lights up when you are having like a, a, a strong sense of who you are is actually lit up in that moment, right? It's edifying to the person. And fourth, it can be used for divine revelation in a corporate gathering through interpretation. Have, have y'all ever seen someone speak in a tongue before? Can just have a show of hands? Have you heard somebody speak in tongues before? Yeah. Have you, ha have you heard somebody interpret tongues before? Yeah, a few of you? Wow, that's amazing, right? It, it's, it seems to be more rare to have tongues and interpretation and Paul, he notes that in the passage. So I want to talk about some common misconceptions about tongues. And here's the thing. We, uh, we live in a world where there's all kinds of things that have been taught over the millennia, right? And um, there are some streams of Christianity that would say that, uh, that every person who is filled with the Spirit should speak in tongues, uh, you may have heard that before, right? right? If you have been baptized in the Spirit, if you've been filled with the Spirit, then you should speak in tongues. And if you aren't filled with the Spirit, if you aren't baptized, then you won't speak in tongues. So that's the sign, right? And that's what is taught. I, uh, I remember in college, we had this crazy guy. He was a little bit older. I was in a college ministry, and he was a bachelor, and he just was sold out for Jesus, and he just wanted to disciple young men. And so he's like, uh, I would like to disciple you. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. And his name was Leonard. And Leonard was American, but he sounded like, I don't know what he would, he just had the most interesting, almost like Jamaican accent. But he's not from Jamaica. I don't know how he got this accent. And he would say things like this, how's your love life? With Jesus, mind. And that's what he would say. And we'd be like, oh, Okay. With Jesus, my love life is great with Jesus. Thank you, Leonard. And Leonard loved me, and Leonard was an amazing guy. But Leonard had been a part of this type of teaching where, like, if you don't speak in tongues, like, you may not be filled with the Spirit. And I remember my dorm room, Tower Hall at Texas State University, it has tiny little windows, looks like a prison, okay? I'm sitting in there. And I remember looking at the window and he was with me and he's like, just start talking. Let's just pray. Just start, just put some syllables out there and just see what happens. Okay, just open your mouth and just, and I'm like, la, la, la. <laughs> Nothing happened, okay? Um, and I was thinking about that teaching that probably many people have heard before. That's a Pentecostal teaching that says that there's a baptism or a second blessing 
And that's the tongues is the sign. Um, in Acts 19, uh, verses 1 through 6, Paul comes across some disciples of John the Baptist. And he asked them, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And they said, we don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, what, bapti- what, what baptism were you baptized into? And they said, well, John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. And he says, no, John said that we were to believe in Jesus. He was pointing to Jesus and that we should put our faith in him. And it says they're baptized into the Lord Jesus. And it says they were filled with the Spirit when he put his hands on them. And it says they began to speak in other tongues. So that was a sign in that moment. Now, some people say, well, look, see, they hadn't received the Spirit, but they believed, and so, like, then he puts his hands on them, and they receive that Spirit, and they begin to speak in tongues. And what I would say is that I think the passage is about going from a pre-Christian belief, which was in the repentance, baptism of John, to a Christian belief that Jesus is the Messiah and Lord, and I need to believe in him. And at that moment, they were filled with the Spirit, and the sign that the Spirit chose at that moment was that they were going to speak in tongues. And I'll tell you why I believe that's true. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says this. It says, in him, talking about Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. That means when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah, the Spirit of God comes into your life and you are filled, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, it says, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Meaning this down payment is not just for the special ones who got the second blessing. It's for every single believer in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what the scripture teaches. And Paul, who prays for the guys in Acts 19, in Ephesus, by the way, writes a letter to the Ephesians that I just read from, the same guy, and he's teaching them this. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit when you believed. Now, can I tell you this? Is there a second blessing? Oh, I hope so. And a third blessing, and a fourth blessing, and a fifth blessing. And I just want, I want to be filled with the Spirit over and over again in my life. Why do I say that? Because when you look at the early church in the book of Acts, it says they were there and they prayed together and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the ground shook and they went out and they spoke the word of God boldly. And then something else happens again, and they're together, and they were filled with the Spirit again. And then something else happens, right? And they were filled. And it says over and over again that they were filled with the Spirit. So is there a second blessing? Should you expect that at some point in your life that the Lord is going to move in in a fresh way where you sense His Spirit in in a a strong, in, in a very tangible way in your life? Absolutely. You should hunger for that. You should desire that because we see this in the New Testament over and over again. They were filled with the Spirit. Paul says this, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but what? Be filled. And that was a a word that, that meant like a continuously filling. 
Like you're just saying, Lord, again today, fill me. God, I need you. Lord, would you just strengthen me? I I need your resources. Would you fill me today? So does every Christian speak in tongues after the baptism of the Spirit? No. Let me also point you to this. In 1 Corinthians 12, 29 through 31, Paul is talking about the gifts still, and he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in other tongues, do all interpret, but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. That's a rhetorical question he's asking, and the answer, the obvious answer is what? No. No. Not all speak in tongues. So that's one misconception. The second is this. Does a person lose control when they speak in in other tongues? You guys already answered, so I don't even have to talk about that. (laughs) The, The New English Translation uses a, a term at, at one point, and it, it, translate tongues, it translates tongues as ecstatic speech. And because of that translation, some have said, well, no, see, it's ecstatic, and they have no control. But here's what I would say is in Galatians 5, uh, Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, and you probably know the list of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And at the end of that list, it says what? Self-control. Did you know that you're not in control of hardly anything in your life or in the world? The only control that you're called to is a control called self-control. And the spirit that fills us, one of the fruits, one of the, the evidences of his power in our life is that we are more self-controlled. So wait, 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 wait. How does the spirit filling me, leading me to self-control, all of a sudden make me out of control? That doesn't make sense to me. Rather, when we are using a spiritual gift, what we are doing is we are yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And we're fully aware of what's going on. He's, he's using us. He's flowing through us. When you're, if, you, if you speak in a prayer language, you know that you're speaking in a prayer. You're not out of control. And Paul says this later in the passage in 1 Corinthians 14, 27 through eight, uh, 28, he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two, or at most three, but each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Meaning this, the person knew there was no one there to interpret, and they're like, I'm going to stay silent, which means they had control over themselves to stay silent in the church when they knew there was no interpreter. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay. So is a person out of control? No, that we don't lose control when tongues or interpretation are being used. Third misconception. What does it mean that tongues are a sign for unbelievers? Where did I get that from? 
Later in the passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 20 through 22, it says, brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Now that has created a lot of confusion. And you know, I've heard people say that are like more charismatic type folks. They're like, man, that church doesn't even let people speak on, in tongues on the stage. Like they don't even care about the lost because it's a sign for unbelievers. Was well, that what Paul means in the passage? Well, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 and 12, and this is a, a passage of judgment. And God is saying to the people of Israel who have turned away from him, that will not listen to him, he said, I'm gonna bring a foreign country, a foreign nation, a foreign invaders, and they're gonna speak to you in foreign language that you don't understand, and that's a sign of my judgment was a sign of judgment. And guess what? When you come into the assembly of believers, we don't want you to feel the judgment of God. And so Paul goes on to say, and he makes it very clear in the church, I would prefer that you prophesy, that you speak in a language that's known, it's intelligible, right? To strengthen, encourage, console, and not in a tongue. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, good, awesome. So this is a gift that God gives to us and it points to his mystery, right? Um, humans crave mystery. It edifies us and when coupled with interpretation, it can serve a revelatory purpose in the church. Not every believer speaks in tongues or interprets, it's not a loss of self-control, but they are to be used with interpretation when addressing a church gathering. Um, Jason shared this at the beginning of our series, week two, and it's Max Lucado was on a podcast. Max Lucado is, you've probably heard of him. He's a Christian author. He's written a large number of books. He's a pastor in San Antonio. Uh, highly regarded in our Christian world. And he says this, when I was 64 on a July morning, as I was praying, I began praying in tongues. I had not done anything different, except I came across the passage where the Apostle Paul said, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. I prayed that every morning for two or three weeks. And then one morning, early in the morning, I began praying in a heavenly language. Wow. 64 years old. And this man sees something in the scripture that says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And he says, well, you said it, Lord. So I'm gonna pray for it. And then the spirit manifests in his life in a new way for a man who's been influencing the Christian world for decades. And he's given a gift of tongues. Um, 
though Leonard was not successful in getting me to speak in tongues in college, he tried really hard. God bless him. <laughs> Some point along the way, and honestly, I don't even remember when, probably in a time of just personal worship, the same thing happened to me as Max Lucado. And it's quite often for me, almost daily, when I'm seeking the Lord, when I'm praying, when I'm having my devotional time, that that's a part of my expression to the Lord. Now, how many times have I come up here and addressed you in a tongue on Sunday morning? Zero times, right? Yeah? Because the Lord has not prompted me to do that. Right? That's not the, the way that the Lord wants me to express that gift. If he ever does, I'm sure he'll let me know that. So this morning, uh, as Jason said earlier, what we're saying is, God, there's more to you than I currently know or possess. And we need his power in our lives. And just maybe the Lord wants to use this gift in your life. Tongues and interpretation. Oh, and by the way, you know this already, but this is only by the finished work of Jesus. It's only because our Savior, he went to that Roman cross for us, for our sins, that he would go there in that place, that he would take all this foreign unrighteousness that we've committed in our lives, he would bring it upon himself, and, and the scripture says he became sin for us so that he could take a foreign righteousness that's not ours and put it onto us. And in so doing, we would be washed and clean as white as snow as far as the east is from the west. He's removed our sins from us so that we could be fit to become what Paul says, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That he would dwell with us. And so this morning, let's pray that God would activate whatever gifts he has placed in us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.